0: are a little uncomfortable talking about this subject matter, including this one. I would much rather preach on prophecy, although I've read somewhere that the average Christian thinks about prophecy once every 14 months and sex every 14 seconds. Now, that I don't know if that's true or not, but I think you get the idea there. So we need to talk about this subject matter, even if it is a tad uncomfortable for you or me, because it's real life. It's where we live. In a normal year of media watching, we see or hear thousands of references to sex. And so what's the message? It's fun. There are no real consequences. So why aren't you doing it? Well, we are. Depending on the stats, you might read somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of men have had an affair. And 10 to 15 percent of women in America had an affair. And you know what, we Christians are a part of that too. A Christianity today, poll found 1 in 4 marriages impacted by adultery. That's the same as the world. So why is that? I think in part because it looks so normal and acceptable. So many are doing it. The world says do it, just don't get caught or get an STD. But Jesus goes a step further. He says don't even lust. Wow. We're going to read that in just a moment. Him saying what I'm going to read shortly separated him from all the other religious teachers of his day. For the seventh commandment they were all familiar with, thou shall not commit adultery. And their teachers narrowed the definition to the act itself. Avoid doing the act and you're pure. You're just fine. You kept the commandment. But Jesus says long before adultery takes place in the bed, it takes place in the head. Right thoughts and motivations are just as important as right actions, according to Jesus. So let's read what he said. First, we're going to read a passage out of Mark 7 and then from Matthew 5. In Mark 7, 21 to 23, Jesus saying, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. A lot of the seven deadly sins there. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. He he says they come from our thought life, from within our motivations. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let me read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that passage in the message. But you know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but don't think you preserve your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend that this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. Yeah, so while this may be uncomfortable for me and you, Jesus himself talked about this subject matter in a public setting called the Sermon on the Mount with a lot more people here than is here today. We're continuing our series on the seven deadly sins. Number four today, lust. Verse 28, I want us to uh, just camp out there. So maybe you have your Bible open or your phone app open to this passage because we're going to look at these verses in some detail. Immediately, we see Jesus' target audience. Men. Everyone who looks at a woman. Lust is chiefly a masculine problem, though women do Lust. It's becoming more and more prevalent and acceptable in our society. I remember my first counseling experience at Church of the Master in Canton, Ohio. Brand new pastor, hadn't been there that long, and there was somebody to see me for, for counseling. She wasn't a church member or a tender, just someone in the neighborhood who needed to speak to a pastor. So she began talking about. An affair, unfaithfulness, it was going on. And all the while, I'm thinking that she's talking about this. Her husband's a real bum. And then she said, I'm the one having the affair. Women have affairs, emotional ones, too. And a growing number use pornography. But it's mainly a man's sin. And talking with men over the years, I found, if we do talk about this conversation at all, that most struggle with it. I've met one straight man in my life that said, I'm not bothered by that at all. At a promise keepers event, the speaker asked how many men there struggle with it. And every hand went up. Remember Jimmy Carter's famous Playboy interview where he admitted this sin? We thought even presidents lust? Well, of course they do. They're human. Men are confused, I think. We wonder why God made us this way and then forbids our natural response. But there's a difference between our God-created sex drive and our lust, which is the result of our fallen sin nature. God created us as sexual beings. We're meant to be drawn to our spouse and procreate. But in thinking about sex and desiring it in marriage is healthy and normal. But lust isn't healthy or normal, though common. Verse 28 helps us see the difference. He who looks at a woman with lustful intent is in the present tense in Greek. That could rightfully be translated keeps on looking. Stares. There's a difference between seeing a beautiful woman and admiring her beauty and that second and third look that sizes her up and undresses her. With lust, you look and then look again and fantasize and imagine. Imagination is a good gift from God, but it's easily corrupted by Satan and our sin nature. Looks lustfully is also an infinitive in the Greek, and that implies Goal or purpose. What's the goal? To possess. To possess what isn't his. To seek dominance over them. It reveals this is also about power and superiority over another person. It's selfish. It isn't valuing her who's made in the image of God. It defaces that image. It dehumanizes her. It makes her a mere object. You might as well place a bag over her head. She's not a person, just a body. And that's why porn is so harmful. It degrades women. They're mere dots on the magazine page. Lust is a solo act, love requires two. Jesus said, It's as bad as adultery. And that's radical. The religious men of his day would have freaked because they were all guilty. He said, It's so bad it deserves hell. It's a deadly sin. And only God knows our secret thoughts, so only He can rightly judge, and He will. Jesus said, Murder begins with angry thoughts, and adultery begins with lustful thoughts. Lust undealt with leads to porn, sex before marriage, adultery, and even rape. Lust is a sled ride. You start down the hill, you're going to the bottom. There's no couple on their wedding day that ever contemplates adultery. It's the furthest thought from their minds. But some years later, the wife isn't so thrilling to his husband. They've had many arguments by this time, lots of bickering. And so he escapes to his job and she's there at work. She's younger, very pretty, even smells good and so sweet She doesn't talk about problems around her. He feels alive again, young and virile. Passion begins to overcome commitment and faithfulness. They talk, laugh, flirt together in the office and then spend time outside of it alone. Playful touches at first, harmless, innocent. She understands you, not like that wife at home. And you know what? Before you know it, you're in an affair. And then the lies begin. There's no liar like the adulterer. He self-deceives. He convinces himself he's finally found true love. Finally found someone who appreciates him. He's not in love. He's in lust. Because love is a marathon. And lust is a ten-yard sprint. In the Old Testament, Amnon thought he loved Tamar. He took her and raped her. Then he hated her. Why? You hate yourself for the sin of unfaithfulness. You feel guilt. How can you ever trust her again? She did this with you and against her own husband. So what's the guarantee she won't do it against you someday? And could she trust you? Trust you. Can be rebuilt if the original couple stay married. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Take a lot of time, but it can happen. I've witnessed it over and over again. I've seen couples that divorced because of unfaithfulness. Marry each other again. The comparisons. Suspicions, mistrust, jealousy, lies, deceit, guilt, hate, divorce. All from a lustful look. It damages your soul. You, you don't park your soul outside during a tryst. It's in the bedroom with you. And so is the Lord. If you're a Christian, you brought him into the bedroom with you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Never. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see from that passage, our whole being is impacted. It's a deadly sin that spawns lots of other sins. Not only are you hurt emotionally and spiritually. In other words, your inner life is hurt, but your outer life is hurt by this sin. Marriage Children, reputation, perhaps your career, you hurt your relatives, you hurt your friends, you hurt the cause of Christ, at least temporarily, you hurt your church family. I read about a Christian businessman who was in New York City on business. In a moment of temptation, he wondered what it would be like to be with a perfect stranger. No one would know him there. No one would find out. So he called an escort service. A little while later, there was a knock at the door. He opened the door and his daughter was standing there. She had run away three years earlier. So she blackmailed him. Men, there are no discreet affairs. You don't get away with it. Solomon was right when he said in Proverbs 6, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. The winged ant is drawn to the light of the fire. But if it flies too closely to the fire, its wings are singed and it falls down into the fire. Lust is a deadly sin. Is there hope? You've heard this old adage. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So what's the prevention? Verses 29 and 30 tell us if you have your scripture there. And it's pretty drastic. Tear your eye out. Cut your hand off. Mark in his parallel passage adds the foot. Better to limp into heaven than leap into hell. So is Jesus promoting mutilation here like some Arab nations? Oregon thought so. He was a third century theologian who had himself castrated. And that's the reason why there were eunuchs. Kings would put men in charge of their harems, but a regular guy couldn't be trusted. So he had them castrated. Marco Polo in his travels tells a lot of interesting stories. One about the one-eyed cobbler. Who was a Christian who, in doing his shoe repair business, once gazed upon a woman's leg and plucked out his own eye. In Jesus's day, there was a group called the Bleeding Pharisees. They were called that because they didn't look at women. They wouldn't look at a woman or speak to one except their mothers, spouse, daughters and sisters. They closed their eyes when they walked on the street and they ran into things and cut themselves. Hence the name bleeding Pharisees. So I wonder if that's the ticket for us. Walk around with our eyes shut. No, because lust is a mind and heart issue with one remaining eye. We can cop a peek. With one remaining hand, we can touch inappropriately with a mutilated stump. We could still limp into the prostitute's house because we still have a bad heart. Listen to Paul in Colossians 2, who said, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The strict rules of the Pharisees hadn't stopped lust. A church father named St. Anthony said he fled into the desert to escape all the temptations of the city. But then he wrote, the devil found me there. Jesus is speaking here, verses 29 and 30, in hyperbole. A figure of speech. He uses another hyperbole when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. What's Jesus's point There is no sacrifice too great for you to make to obey God and avoid hell. This is not the time to be cautious and move slowly, but to be drastic and move quickly. This is not the occasion that needs a band aid but major surgery. Better to be blind than in hell, says Jesus. Better to have two good hands. Or rather, to have no hands than sin against God. I mean, the cost is great. You only have two eyes. You only have two hands. Don't use them for sin. Notice the phrase, causes you to sin. That's a Greek word, "scandalon." Now, you can imagine what English word came into our language from that Greek word. It was scandalous. It was a scandal, but then a scandal on was a trap, a very crude minor trap where there was a stick that was tied, that bait was tied to the stick and there was a trap overhead. So the animal would come into that area, bite on the meat or whatever was the offering, move the stick, the trap would fall down on top of the animal. And that's exactly what lust does. It traps you. Another example or illustration, some men were in a boat stranded out in the ocean. For days, they drifted their water, food long gone. The sun was hot. They were so thirsty and they were so tempted to drink all the ocean water that surrounded them. But they knew they couldn't do it because if you do, you die of dehydration, which sounds crazy. You're drinking in all this water. But it has such a high salt content that your kidneys have to work overtime to try to get that salt out of your body. And it pulls out all the moisture from all your tissues to get rid of the salt. And thus you die of thirst. So what can I do to overcome this sin? Now, let's not easily and quickly brush aside the literalness of Jesus's words. He's very clear. Don't use your body for sin. Joseph ran from the clutches of Potiphar's wife. Don't use your hand to touch another inappropriately. Don't use your eye to lustfully leer. Psalms 119.37 says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. In Job 31, he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the almighty on high is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a balance and let God know my integrity. If my step has turned aside from the way, and my heart is gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck to my hands. Notice Job uses those same three. He says his eyes, his hands, and his feet. A great summary verse, I think, is Romans 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God. As those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Let me give you five practical things you can do. I can do. To avoid the sin of lust. Number one. Recommit yourself to God. Recommit yourself to God. Agree with his standards. Which are opposite the world's and this culture. Hate your sin. Confess it and forsake it. Ask, do I love God more than I love my sin? Second thing. Control your thoughts. Control your thoughts. James 1, 14 and 15 from the Living Bible. Temptation is the pull of a man's own evil thoughts and wishes these evil thoughts lead to evil actions and afterwards to the death penalty from god the battle begins in the mind two monks were on their way back to their monastery and they had to cross a river and they saw a beautiful young woman there at the river's edge who asked them could you help me cross the river And one of them picked her up and carried her across the river. They got to the other side. She went on her way. And the one monk asked his fellow monk, he said, we're we're not supposed to look at a woman or touch one. Why did you carry her across the river? And he said, I did carry her across the river, but you still carry her in your thoughts. It's about avoiding the triggers The things in our life that trigger lustful thoughts or or any sinful matter, avoiding those triggers. You've got to be diligent. Control your thoughts. Thirdly. When tempting thoughts come. Replace them with noble ones. When tempting thoughts come, replace them with noble ones. Let me read Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Peter Pan was asked how he could fly. And he said, I think good thoughts and they lift me up. You really can't stop a glance or a thought from popping into your head like you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. But you can't stop that bird from building a nest in your hair. So you don't dwell on it. It pops in. Let it pop out. Replace it with something else. Open up the word of God. Read some scripture. I got to say I got to say no to the bad and yes to the good. It's about my right thinking. Changing my thinking. Number four. For the married man. Gaze upon. Run to. And touch your wife. Let me read this. In Proverbs. From the Living Bible. Proverbs 5. Be happy. Yes rejoice. In the wife of your youth. Let her breasts. And tender embrace satisfy you. Let her love alone fill you with delight. Why delight yourself with prostitutes embracing what isn't yours? For God is closely watching you. And he weighs carefully everything you do. The Bible is so picturesque in describing marital love. If you're not sure of that, go back in the Old Testament and read the Song of Solomon again. God is pro-sex. It's his idea. He thought it up, not Hugh Hefner. Rejoice in your spouse. Continue to be intimate. Do a marriage retreat. Whatever you need to do to help your marriage be vital. Number five. Ponder the consequences. When we sin, we're being... Incredibly short-sighted. There are enormous consequences for breaking God's laws. Really, we don't break them, they break us. We get hurt emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially. It's not worth it. Now, the devil may come on the scene and say, it's no big deal. Everyone's doing it. No one will find out. Those are lies. God takes a hard line on purity, folks. Let me read First Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. The Bible's clear. God may not deal with it quickly, immediately, but He will eventually. So maybe you're thinking this morning, man, I really messed up. It's too late for me. It is not too late. There is forgiveness with God. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross for every sin. You you can receive forgiveness anew and have a new start. And even if it's every day, I have to confess this sin and receive forgiveness. That's the way it is. If you've been wounded by adultery, let me encourage you that God can heal your marriage. And if you're struggling in this issue, don't go it alone. Connect with other brothers or sisters in Christ for accountability. We have men's groups and women's groups on Friday night this week. Outstanding opportunity to connect with someone who maybe you could share with. Hey, I'm struggling in this area. Could you pray with me and help me? Well, let me pray for you now. Jesus, you again amaze us with how practical you are as you talked in the Sermon on the, on the Mount about an issue everyone in that audience had been impacted by, probably in some way or another. And, and you still speak today through your word to us. And, and you know all of the temptations of our culture around us. It's like in Proverbs 4, the sideshow. It's everywhere. We walk down. The main aisle, we have to keep our eyes straight ahead. Lord, help us help us to do that. Thank you for forgiving us for this sin when we confess it to you and forsake it. Strengthen us, enable us to walk in purity with you, as your word says. Lord, we do love you and we want to please you. And we certainly want to treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ properly. Help us do that, Lord. Thank you for your word again, which is able to strengthen us in our inner person. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.